0: I imagine is that if I went around this room tonight, and if I asked every person in here to describe yourself in two words, uh, I, there may be some of you, I, I don't know you all, and hopefully I get to know some of you better, but I don't, I don't think there'd be many people who, if I'd walk up and ask you to describe yourself in two words, would say, I'm confident and I'm bold. You know, confidence is one of those things that we see a lot of times in other people, but we ourselves don't feel it as much. Confidence is something that we, when we recognize it in someone, it is, it is based on somebody who's outgoing, somebody who maybe doesn't know a stranger, someone who isn't afraid to say what needs to be said. And, and there's some of the wives who are tapping their husbands and things like that and maybe vice versa. You know confident people and you see confident people in your life, but so many times we ourselves don't feel confident. I believe that God's people are confident people maybe not by the standards of the world and confidence, and we'll talk about that. But I want to look at a scripture this evening, if you'll follow along with me if you care to, or follow along in the PowerPoint. In Proverbs chapter 28, the first verse, he says, The wicked flees when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And this statement is really interesting to me because what it sounds like at first glance is that if anybody isn't isn't gods, then they're cowards and that they flee, and that there is no bravery in them. And we know this not to be true, that there are many brave people who are not members of God's kingdom. And, and I, I began to think about this and wonder, well, what, what, what could this mean? And, and what I believe this really says is that there's limits in our humanity. Don't you believe that's true? There's things you know about yourself that everybody knows about themselves where, where, where I know I have strengths and I know where I have weaknesses. Someone might be very strong and have a lot, have a lot of physical strength, but maybe there's a point emotionally where they'll break long before their their physical might does. Maybe somebody is much stronger intellectually than they are physical. You know, we each have these differences, different weaknesses and strength, and that's okay. I believe that there are times whenever we look at ourselves and we see our shortcomings and our courage can fail us because we know where we are insufficient. You know what I mean? I'd like to use Moses for an example of that. This evening, we'll talk about him. This idea about being bold as lions is something I think that we need to take on as a characteristic. It's obviously a characteristic of the godly. And no matter if you consider yourself a naturally bold or confident person, he's called us to boldness. And we'll see that in so many different ways this evening. As you reflect on your life and how bold you are, I hope you're motivated tonight. You know, confidence, before we really get into this, is something that I think society takes and they... They really mix up what confidence ought to be. So many times, whenever we think about confidence, I hear self-confidence. And I believe that's especially what this verse might be talking about, is many people, they have self-confidence or confidence in their own abilities, and they will fail, like this person here, the unrighteous. But the righteous, they're people who know that they have their own limitations, but they know that where theirs leave off, God picks up. Consider the story of Moses. You remember whenever God went and found Moses, he'd heard the cry of his people and he said this to him, Exodus 3:10, "Come now therefore, I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people the children of Israel out of Egypt." We know the situation was the Hebrews had gone to the land of Egypt during the time of Joseph. The family had moved there with just 70 or so souls and then it had turned into a great nation and they'd multiplied, they become a threat to the Egyptians and Pharaoh puts them into oppression. And years later Pharaoh or years later Joseph and so many others of that generation are gone. But now the Hebrews are a great nation, but they're enslaved, and they're treated very brutally. God heard their cry, and He said, I'm going to deliver them. The time is right. And he goes and he finds Moses, who you know grew up. He was a Hebrew, but he grew up in the house of Pharaoh. And he says, it's time to go back. It's time to lead my people out. And, you know, there's so many people even today, maybe you yourself, that, that would think if God spoke to me. I mean, if I could have this miraculous event, surely I wouldn't defy the living God. And, but that's exactly what Moses does. Moses has God speaking to him from this burning bush, giving his warning, his mission, and Moses doesn't just take the mission and run with it. Why? Because he looks at the situation and he says, this is way too big for me. And you remember the things that he started saying. He, he started saying things like, who am I? I mean, look, Lord, I, I'm nobody. Uh, I was raised in that household, but I'm not royalty. I'm just a Hebrew. I'm just a shepherd. I'm no one. I can't go back that Pharaoh, he has the best and the brightest. He has the kings and queens and princes and dignitaries from all over the world. I'm nobody to go stand before him and demand, let your people go. He goes on, he, he says things like, uh, who will I tell them sent me? Or they won't even believe me, Lord. They're just going to think I'm nuts. I mean, a bush was burning, but it wasn't consumed. and I'm going to go say, but it spoke to me too. And they go, you're, you're, you're crazy, man. It'd be a wild story. Think about it. Somebody came to you today and told you that story. You think it's wild too. This is going to sound nuts, God. And then he goes on, he says, I'm not eloquent enough. Think about all the people who must have stood in front of Pharaoh and, and given speeches and told about different knowledges and, and things that they'd seen in wonders around the world. And he's going, I, I don't have the words, the capability to captivate this man. I, I'm not this eloquent man who can change his heart to release an entire nation of people. And at the end, he gets to what he really wants. Isn't there anybody else? Moses looked at the task. What was the task? Go to the most powerful man in the world, the most powerful army of the world, and you tell him, let your slaves go, let your workforce go. No strings attached. You send them out of here. That's a big task. And he looked at himself, one man against the mightiest army, and he said, I can't do this. What are you asking of me? I can't talk right. I I don't have the right words. Surely there's there's smarter and brighter, better people than me. I I can't make them believe me. My credibility is not there. I am not enough to do this on my own. You remember what God kept telling him all through his, his different replies, all through different complaints, his different worries? He said, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am. I am. Who do I say sent me? You say I am sent you. All that there is sent you. That's all they need to know. Well, how do, I, how do I know that I can prove to you that the I am said it? I'll give you these signs. You remember the staff that was thrown to the ground and turned to a snake and picked back up and became a staff again. The leprous hand, after he stuck his hand into his jacket, and the leprosy removed again, an incurable disease. He gave them wonderful signs, didn't he? And Moses still said, I'm not enough on my own. He said, I can't talk. And he said, I'll send Aaron with you. And Moses was going through what we we'll read about in that chapter there in Proverbs. He was a man who looked at himself and said, I am not enough. And I think there are times as Christians, as gods, as the righteous, we forget that it's not about who we are. It's not about what we can prove or what we are on our own or using all the right words or the newest techniques and technologies. It's about who is on our side. And it's about who the I am is. And it's about what he can show to other people through his word, and it's about what he will do through you and me. You see, whenever he asked Moses to take on the task of pulling his people out of bondage, he wasn't going to send them in there unequipped. We don't have to be bold because we're enough. Because the truth is, we never will be. A bold man we'll talk about uh, many times who wrote this chapter here to the Corinthians. Paul, he said this, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything is of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God, who hath also made us able ministers in the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit gives life. And he says, I'm not sufficient. Wrong button there. I'll get this thing figured out sufficiency, when I think of sufficiency, very often I'm doing a chore or something around the house and my heart isn't all the way into, and sufficiently as I've kind of got it done, it doesn't have to be perfect, that'll do it sufficient. And that's not what he's talking about here. What he's talking about, he said, look, on my own, I'm not enough. I'm I'm a glass with a droplet of water in it. I'm not near full enough. And he said, God, what he will do is he'll fill my cup up. He'll make me capable. It's not a decent job. It's not an okay job. God will make me able to do the job the way he intended to be done. And whenever he asks big things of his people, though we may not be capable of it ourselves on our own, he's going to make us capable God will make you sufficient. You don't have to be confident in yourself. You don't have to be bold because of what you can do. You can be bold because of what God can do through you and with you. You know, we can be bold people not because of our own skills and abilities, but because of of the strength we can draw from Jesus our Lord. Philippians 4 and 13 he says I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I hear this passage a lot of times reciting at sporting events as the children gather around in their circles before their games. I remember coach would tell us that whenever I was in school and he'd say listen you can do all things through Christ who strengthens us and and all the kids would cheer and get real pumped out and run out of the field and and we go play football and I just don't think God cares about our football games. I don't care how much you love football or you love basketball or you love baseball. That's not what this passage is about. This passage is about doing things like removing people from, from slavery. Like going out and captivating the hearts and minds of the world and bringing them into subjectivity to Jesus. It's about preaching the gospel message. And that is a big task. But we can do that. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes we're just not strong enough on our own. But Christ is right there to strengthen us. You remember what he told us in the Great Commission? Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world, right? Don't be afraid. Why? Because I'll be there to strengthen you. Through his word, through his people, God will strengthen you. You're not big enough for the task. You don't have to be bold because of you. You can be bold because of how strong Christ is. Second Peter 1 and verse 3, he says, According to his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us unto glory and virtue. You know, I was, I was watching a PSA uh, here a while back, a public service announcement, a commercial on TV, some governmental agency. There was, there was these two ladies walking through the park together. And... Uh, they were laughing and having a good time. Obviously, they're friends. And one of the ladies, uh, in a moment of soberness, turns and looks to her friend and she says, I think my daughter is experimenting with drugs. And there's this long, awkward pause. And then the friend turns and pats her on the back and says, I'm sure it's just a phase. And it fades to black and some agency says, your friends don't know how to help you with your problems but we do. And I'm not here to to argue about the government's effectiveness or whatever to help with things like that. But here's what I do know. Sometimes in life we're faced with hard questions. There's no doubt that's a hard question. How do I help my addicted loved ones? How do I help my loved ones who are struggling with some type of sin? How do I answer this question or that question? Sometimes somebody comes to you with a problem in your life that just stops you in your tracks, and you go, how do I begin? What I do know is that for Christians we can be bold in facing the challenges and the problems in people's life because we have all the answers. Not of our own ideas, not created in some lab somewhere, not in some uh, support group. What we have is the Word of God. He says His divine power, the wisdom from above, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. I don't care what it is. Sometimes people, they want to have their, you know, this life, and they want to have that life. And, well, when I want answers for business, I go to business. When I want spiritual questions, I'll go to church. Listen, God's got all the answers, I don't care how how hard they are. And Christians, we should not shirk away from the problems that people have because the answers can be found. Now, you might find a situation where you have to sit back and go, I don't know, but I'll find out. I mean, guaranteed we're going to have those. We can be bold because we don't have to come up with the answers. God will supply those. He's given us all the tools that we need. See, when God asks great things of His people... He expects them to be able to attack it with confidence and boldness because of all the things that he puts at our disposal to accomplish that task. The righteous are bold as lions. Whether the sisters think about your life, are you a bold and confident person? And if you're not this evening, let's think about it. What is hindering you from being as confident, as bold as a lion like the Bible says the righteous ought to be. I think there are a lot of things that hinder us. I want to talk about just a few of those things, I think, that might could trouble us in our efforts of being as bold as we ought to be or as bold as we could be. Maybe one of the biggest things that can hinder any of us from being bold out in the world today is not being completely committed to the mission or the task at hand. You know, I think that's one of the things that was very evident in the life of Peter and the story of Peter that we see. If you'll remember in Luke 22, Jesus is having this Last Supper with His disciples, and He's just talked to Peter about some of the things that are about to happen, and Peter's about to make a commitment. Read it with me if you would. Luke 22:31. 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow uh, this day uh, before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. There's a lot of confidence in Peter, and we talk about that a lot. Look how confident he was. Whenever God says, you're going to deny me, Jesus in the flesh, God in the flesh says, you're going to deny me before the night's up. You're going to do away with me. You're going to betray me. And Peter says, "Mm -mm, it's not going to happen. Listen, Lord, here's what I'm ready to do. They can come. They can bring whatever the army they want to, but I'm not going to betray you. I'm not going to flee. I'm ready to fight for you. I'll go to jail. They can throw me in jail. I won't renounce you. I won't run away. They could kill me. I'm still not scared. And I think Peter meant it. I think Peter was very committed to that. I think he stayed committed to that idea for a long time. Jesus has questioned his commitment to him, his willingness to be bold on this task. Think about this task. When you're converted, strengthen your brethren. I just don't think Peter knew what this was yet. You remember whenever they're in the garden, they're waiting and and Jesus is praying and they keep falling asleep, and uh, eventually the betrayer comes and here comes Judas through with these priests and, and the servants and he says, Hail Master, and he, he kisses Jesus, uh, giving away as, as the Christ and Jesus says, Friend, wherefore art thou come? And they lay hands on Jesus and what did Peter do? You remember in that moment he reached out and he pulled his sword out, didn't he? And he whacked the ear off one of those servants I think G- I, I think Peter was ready to to do what he said he'd do. Look, I will, I will fight, I'll go to prison, I'll die for you. That's what he thought the battle was. He said, if this is a physical fight, I'm all in. And then he was willing to put his mouth, you know, his money where his mouth was. I'll fight for you. I'll, I'll go down for you on this. And so he whacked that ear off, and then his his confidence fails him whenever Jesus picks that ear up and heals the man. And Peter finally realizes, oh, I can't do this with my might. What can I do then? That's where he fled, right? That's where he turned away and he ran. He wasn't completely committed to this mission yet of strengthening the brethren. He wasn't completely converted to this. You remember whenever Jesus comes back after the resurrection, even though there's been many who have already seen Jesus, it's been reported to Peter himself that Jesus is risen, even though Peter has seen the, the empty grave and the grave clothes folded up and waiting there. You remember Peter went fishing, and Jesus comes to him, and they have the most awkward supper ever. They're on the banks uh, of, of that, that body of water. In, in John chapter 21, and verse 15, he says, So when they had dined, Jesus said to him, Simon Peter, son of Jonas, do you love me more than these? More than these what? You remember that Jesus had prepared a meal of fish there for him with that fire? You remember they're sitting there and they knew who it was, but they durst not ask him, you know, Lord, is it you? And eventually when he speaks, Jesus is looking at those fish and he said, Do you love me more than these fish? And you remember that Peter goes... Yeah, yeah, of course I love you more than these fish. And so he says, and feed my lambs. What's he saying? Strengthen the brethren. He looks at those fish again and he says, Peter, are you really committed? Do you love me more than these fish? You're out here fishing. Instead of strengthening the brethren, he says, Lord, of course. And he says, well, then feed my sheep. And he asks him the third time, and, and he's going, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know I love you more than these rink a dink little fish. And he says, Then go do what I asked you to do commit to this mission. Go strengthen your brother instead of being out here fishing. Go strengthen the people. You know, whenever Peter got it, because I think he got it then, didn't he? He finally realized, OK, I can't do this with my physical might. And he realized this is a spiritual battle. All right. I'm on board now. And you know what he did. Whenever Jesus left, he stood up with the others in the midst of thousands and thousands of Jews. And he preached the first gospel sermon. And thousands of people, they had their sins destroyed and wiped away for the very first time through Jesus Christ. Whenever Peter finally committed, he didn't run away anymore. He was all in. And you know, I think if we're not all in when it comes to the gospel, if we're not completely committed to that mission, we're never going to be as bold as we should be. Think about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 10, Paul said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest in God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. You know what I think Peter got? That it wasn't about physically defending Jesus. It was about defending the souls of mankind for eternity. You see, he knew what was coming. He knew what was in wait for him. Think about Jesus had taught on hell, I think, more than anyone else had at this point. You think that Peter believed in the hell? He did with all of his heart. There's a lot of people who don't believe in hell nowadays. I I wish I didn't believe in a hell. I mean, it'd be great if there wasn't really a hell, you know? And no one ever would go to this lake of fire, and no one ever would be in torment forever. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I don't know. How committed are you to that idea? He said, knowing the terror of the Lord, it wasn't just because they had a mission. He said, I know what's going to happen to people. That's what Peter finally committed to. He said, I know what's going to happen to people. I know what's going to happen to all these Jews. I know what's going to happen to all these people in the world. If I don't go preach a message, you think about your life. Think about how bold you are with people in your life. How bold are you with your coworkers who are wandering lost in the world? Do you worry about their soul and where it's going to be forever? How bold would we be if we truly know and think about the terror of the Lord? Peter was able to stand up because he understood that. Think about your brothers and your sisters, your blood kin, the ones who are wandering off in the world in some type of sin who haven't embraced the gospel of Jesus. How bold have you been for their soul? Or have you shrunk back? There's so many times that we hold back words, words of eternal life, because we're afraid. We're afraid of what we're risking. We're risking Christmas dinner that's peaceful. Right? Christmas dinner, you don't talk about politics or religion. It's understood in a lot of places. I'm sorry if that's the way that it is in your family. It's frustrating for us. I know it's frustrating for you. Folks, be bold. I'm not saying we don't have to be judicious. I'm not saying we got to be dogmatic. Being confident and bold does not mean that we are mean or that we are thumping Bibles across people's foreheads to try to pound it into them. We are never relieved of our duties to let our speech be with grace and season with salt. But being bold is about saying what needs to be said for an important cause. Where will your family end up? Where will your friends end up? Where will your kids end up? Where will your grandkids end up? Where will your spouse end up? Where will your your childhood uh, acquaintances end up one of these days? Do you believe there's a hell? Do you believe there's a heaven? Then let's teach like there is. And let's save like there is. Let's be bold like there is. And try to keep some people out of this terrible fate. If we understand the urgency of life, we're going to commit to that gospel. We need help being that bold. Sometimes we think about there are people who are bold, and that's just not me. Here's a man I think none of us would, die, would deny is bold. In Ephesians chapter 6 and 19, Paul was requesting a prayer from the rest of the church. He said, I want you to pray this for me. The utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Ought to. Ought to means that there's an expectation, right? And he said, there's an expectation for me that I ought to speak a particular way. And the expectation was not that he would speak timidly, not that he would reserve teachings, but that he would boldly say what needs to be said. And this bold man, a naturally bold man, a man who is all in on whatever he was doing, whether it was against Christ or for Christ, he's all in and not afraid to stand up for it. He's saying, pray for me. Maybe you're not as bold as you ought to be for this mission of the gospel because you're not asking for enough prayers. Let's not neglect that gift. You remember that the the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. There's a lot of power in that. And this naturally bold man, someone who I see much more bold than myself, is saying, pray for me. And I think as a congregation, as, as a church in general, as a whole, we need to make sure we're praying for each other and begging for those prayers because I know if you're thinking about me, I'm going to be more bold. And if you know that I'm praying for you, aren't you going to be more encouraged to go out there? Because you're not fighting it alone. You're fighting with the hearts and the minds of the entire church of God behind you. And that's why he could go out there and do it. It wasn't about natural ability. That's where God was supplying strength, through the prayers of the loved ones, through the prayers of the co-workers in Jesus. Brothers and sisters, pray for each other that you may speak as you ought to speak, that you'll commit to that mission of evangelism and be bold. Bold as lions, because that's what we've been called to. Maybe something that hinders us beyond just being committed to the gospel is being committed to uh, morality in the sense that we ought to. In First Timothy 3, he talks about the church. He says, if I've tarry long or if I've spent a long time writing this to you, it's so that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. You know, one of the things that is hard in our society, people don't want to believe in, in absolute truth. They like to believe that there is a lot of leeway in what truth is. Not my way, but, you know, that there's a lot of rope. You can believe this, I can believe that. Your morality's fine, my morality's fine. And the truth is, there's only God's morality and everything else. It's not about your standard or my standard, it's about God's standard. And notice what he's saying here. He's saying, I want you to be the standard that the world looks at, so that whenever they see you, they know what I stand for. We're this... We're this example of God's Word and action, right? The righteousness of God should shine out through us. Not that we're anything ourselves. We're just following orders. And He's providing that righteousness for us. But He said, I want you to stand for something. The pillar in the ground of truth. I think about buildings that have stood for, for ages and ages. Buildings that have, have stood for a long time and big white columns that have held up magnificently large stones that I absolutely have no idea how they got up there without cranes and, and backover, backhoes and stuff like that. And they stood resolutely and they didn't move and the winds would blow and, and you know battles would be fought around them and still they stood. And there's a battle raging around you and I today, a battle of morality, and he says, I want you to stand resolutely like that. I don't want you to stray one way or the other. I want you to keep being the church I've called you to be in morality. It's hard to do that. I mean, you know it's hard to do that. It's hard to be the mom and daddy you need to be because of all the different ideas that people have out there about how we ought to raise our kids. It's hard to be the, the husband and wife that we need to be because of all of the, the different ideas about how that relationship... It's hard to be all kinds of things in Christianity because how the world looks at it. But he said, I want you to stand resolutely so they can see what I'm all about. You know what we do? What we do is we shrink back a little bit from that at times because we don't want to draw attention to ourselves, It's not fun. We don't want to be mocked. We don't want to be belittled. We don't want to get our bakery, you know, stolen away from us, whatever it might be. If you know what I'm referring to there, I mean, there are times whenever Christians speak out and they hurt for it. Look at Jeremiah chapter 20. I mean, the dude got to the point where he's saying, dude, I I won't even mention God's name anymore. Thankfully, he couldn't keep that commitment. It is hard to stand up and not only do what's right, but preach what's right in a wicked society. It's hard to be bold. Sometimes we give ourselves a pass. Well, as long as I live a good life and people can see God in me, I don't have to be like those people who are out there preaching it on the corners or preaching it from the pulpits or who are speaking up in the office. That's that's for the bold people. I'm, I'm just going to stand in the background. I hear a saying, and, and I, I'm, I don't mean to hate on this because uh, I think it has a good intent. You may be the only Bible that somebody reads. The intent of that is that some people haven't read the Scriptures, and if you live right, maybe they can look at you and be encouraged to go read that. But sometimes we give ourselves a pass as Christians in the church that I can just walk through life with my head down and my blinders on, and as long as I don't put my toe out of line... It, and do immorality, that I'm going to be okay in the eyes of God if I don't preach out loud, if I don't talk about what's right, and if I don't talk out against what's wrong, as long as I do the right thing. And that's not living, that's not living bold like a lion like he's called us to do. I don't, I don't know if that's right at all. Look at this passage here, Proverbs 28 and 4. He says, they that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. And we see that today. Who is the loudest voice today in, in politics, society? Doesn't it seem to be the people who are the most wicked? The most wicked agendas? The most wicked ideas? Praising everything that is evil and awful. Those are the voices we're hearing. And he says, but the righteous are one that keep their head down and don't say a word to them. That's not what he says. He says they contend with them. You know what contend means? They're putting up a fight. They're going to speak up. It's not good enough for us to just walk through our life with our head down and try to avoid the attention of the evil world around us. He says, stand up and fight for what's right. That's what it means to be a pillar and a ground of truth. And there will be opportunity if you're living in the peculiar way that you ought to, not a weird way, not a strange way. If you're living in this peculiar, holy, righteous way that we've been called to, folks, there's going to be opportunities to contend. And that doesn't mean we do it hatefully. That doesn't mean that we're inciting riots and we're doing all of these crazy and outlandish things. But it means we're willing to talk about what's right. The church shouldn't be the people who whenever they're asked about, why are you you people over there? Are, why are you the ones that only have one guy or have multiple guys up there preaching? Well, uh, well, that's just what we do. Oh, you the people over there who don't believe in, in instruments. Well, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we don't do that. You're, the, you're those people over there, the, the water dogs, who don't believe in, in faith. Well, no, no, we believe in that, but yeah, we believe in baptism. You're those people over there who believe that husbands should lead the homes. Well, yeah. And we're so scared that we got our head down to the floor and we talk quietly and we try to get over those conversations quickly. You know what we have a chance to do? We have a chance to talk about the, the master plan. We have a chance to talk about why he did what he did. Why do we have multiple men? Think about the, the treasure that you have of the men who, who invest their life in God's word here. And that you don't have to listen to Lee all the time. You know, or things like that. You don't have to just listen to one person. You get all these life experiences. You get the men who've been walking through it for a long time and they have these different things to draw on, these principles that some of us younger guys could never grasp at this point. And they can help us see it before we encounter it. How do you have these other people that have a zealous uh, take on things and others who, who make sure they bring things into perspective? Why do we do what we do? Because God said so, and we want to do it His way. Is there any shame in that? Why do you lead your home? Because He designed it, and if He designed it, it's going to be great if I could just do it the way He wanted. We don't have to walk around with our head down making excuses for who we are or what we are. We don't have to walk around as timid people, people who have no boldness. We, we don't have to walk around as these people will say, well... I mean, who am I to judge somebody else about their life? Let me, let, me, let, me, let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you. You are the sons of Abraham the sons of Isaac, the sons of the living God. You are are the army of the Lord God Almighty. You are the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. That's who you are. You are not timid individuals. He didn't ordain you. He didn't sanctify you so that you could walk quietly through this life and slip on out. He made you lions. That's who he made. That's who you are. Not because you're wonderful and great and awesome, but because God is great and wonderful and all that is awesome. And that's who you are, and that's why you should be bold. Stand up, brothers and sisters, and be bold. The righteous are bold is line. And if we're looking for righteousness in our life, start with speaking up right now. Start by being bold. There are things that get in our way. There are times we have to refocus and recommit ourselves to the causes that are in the Bible. There are times we have to overcome fears. And we could talk about a lot of things tonight that hinder us. I think if we were to to put them all in a nutshell of what we're afraid of and why we're not as bold as we ought to be, maybe it would just boil down to we're just afraid of men. Here's one of my favorite excuses on why I don't do anything right here. This is John 7, verse 13. He says, no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. You know, there was people who believed in Jesus here. They wouldn't speak openly of him for fear of the Jews. That's my excuse for a lot of things in life. I figure one excuse is as good as the next, right? The idea here, though, is that people wouldn't do the right thing, wouldn't stand up and speak for Jesus because they were afraid of what other men could do to him. That's one of our biggest battles, is it not? When it comes to being bold, maybe the biggest we need to get over our fear of mankind we we read verses all day long about you know how fear not them which can destroy the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell right and we tell ourselves and then we face situations we're we're afraid uh, you know we're afraid of I mentioned that bakery earlier. We're afraid sometimes to stand up of what's going to happen to us, even even under the laws of the land at times. And I'm not saying that's an illegitimate fear. You know, I, I spend uh, I spent some time a while back. A bunch of us got together at some studies, and and a bunch of us guys were talking about uh, I think we were talking about counseling and how as somebody in the church you can counsel somebody and make sure you abide by the laws of the land not break laws but also make sure that you stay true to the scriptures Uh, we talked about how can we avoid not going to prison you know and different things like that and and still say what needs to be said at times too and and i've spent a lot of time talking to people that over the last several years and um there's a big fear of that you know that was a reality for people in the church at one point i don't know if we're quite there yet we might be getting there i don't know but that was a reality for the apostles and a lot of the evangelists for speaking up for Jesus. They were going to get rocks thrown at them until they, they died. They were going to get thrown into prison. That's what Paul faced. Philippians 1 Starting in verse 12, he says, But I would have you that you would understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all of the places. And many of the brethren of the Lord waxing confident in my bonds are much, bold, much more bold to speak the word without fear. I think this is very interesting. You know, it, it seems like an awful thing. And don't get me wrong, I think it would probably be an awful thing in a lot of ways to get, you know, you know, thrown in the slammer for preaching the word of God like we're supposed to if it violated some type of law. It, it, it feels like it'd be something that would put a lot of fear in everyone else and make everyone else kind of close off too. But it didn't do that whenever Paul was in prison. He didn't let it affect him. In fact, he said, I don't want you to be ashamed of me. Don't be frightened. Don't be, don't be frightened of what's going on. Don't be ashamed. I want you to know what's happened since I got thrown in prison. He, he said that this, I got thrown keep hitting that wrong button. There's a laser right there. He said that, look, whenever I I got thrown into prison, he said it furthered the gospel. Why? Because whenever people saw me get thrown into prison, they didn't get afraid. They didn't run away. They didn't become more timid. He said they were emboldened. They watched me. I was still preaching in prison. And all the palace heard about the gospel, and all these other places, he said, the gospel just kept spreading out. He said, many of the other people, they became, they waxed confident. We don't say wax confident. You know, that's something you do to your vehicle, right? Or your surfboard. I don't know. Anyone surf? I don't surf, but um, we don't wax a lot of things. A lot of times we don't wax confident, we don't grow confident. And I believe it may be because we're not taking risks like some people were taking and still continuing to keep, keep on being bold and confident. Whenever Paul went into prison and kept on preaching and, and wasn't deterred, other people looked at it and said, you know what, I can do that too. I can do more. I can be more bold too. I can be like Paul. Look at him, brethren. He's in prison and he's still preaching. I can do that too. He said they were much more bold. I'm not suggesting that we go out and do something wild to get thrown into jail. We need to be wise. But so what if you do? Say what needs to be said with love. Say what needs to be said with salt and with grace. But say what needs to be said. Be bold. No matter where it takes you, be bold. Because we know where boldness can take other people. It can take them to eternity. The right words fitly spoken, right? That's what the gospel will do if we'll just be bold with them. Maybe if you start taking a risk in your life, someone else will too. Maybe if you're willing to to stand up and, and talk to somebody close in your life, someone else will say, you know what? I know that was a tough situation. I know that was a tough thing to do. But I can do that too. The more you're bold and emboldened, maybe the more somebody else in here will be as well. You know, we need that. We need somebody to jump off the side of the mountain like David and go fight the giant sometime so somebody else can feel like they can go fight in the battle too. That's what I need. That's what we all need. Let's be bold. Because if we can go through the hard times together, we're going to come out on the other side like the lions we ought to be. I think that one of the things we rob ourselves is this recuperation and encouragement time to be bold. Hebrews 10, 24. You ever get tired of this verse? I don't know how many lessons I've got this in. You'll probably see me use it a couple times, a couple different ways this week maybe. I don't know. You hear it a lot of times, but think about it. He says, let us consider one another provoke. Unto love and to good works, not forsaking the symbol of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what he's calling us to do is to push each other to be what we need to be. Provoke. You don't need to provoke it in your life. I'm an older sibling. I did a lot of provoking, it wasn't a very positive way. Provoking is a good thing. He said, Push. You know what I need? I need a push sometimes. I need somebody else to say, you can do this. I need somebody to tell me whenever it's time to go knock doors, you know what? You, you can go do this. It's not as bad as it seems. I need someone who, who will be able to talk to me whenever I'm worried about a conversation I'm about to have with someone and say, you can go have this conversation. I need somebody that after I've faced rejection will, will talk to me and listen to me and say, all right, you didn't get this one. Go get the next one. I think about guys like Gaius. Gaius al-Elder and 3 John and about how he's receiving people in his home and you remember he said he was sending them on their way in a more godly sort. He was refreshing people. These weary gospel teachers and preachers, these servants who were out there being bold, they came into his home tired and bedraggled and maybe weary sometimes for saying what needed to be said all the time and facing rejection and they'd leave it and they were refreshed. If we don't spend the time that we need together we're not going to be as bold as we ought to be because we're going to keep getting beat down, and we're going to keep getting beat down by the world, and we're going to keep getting beat down, and we don't have anybody around us throughout the week to say, it's all right, it's okay, you could do it. It's a busy world, it's a busy life. Make a choice. Spend more time with each other. Provoke one another to be more bold. Embolden one another to say the things that we ought to say The day is approaching. The day is approaching whenever there's no more chance to be bold. There's no more chance to speak up to our loved ones. There's no more chance to just say what needs to be said. Commit to strengthening each other so you can be as bold as you ought to be. This is a a very interesting passage. I was thinking about it a lot as I was flying over the Grand Canyon with Clint Goodman a couple years ago. Um, It was very, very far down, especially right over the middle of the Grand Canyon. The wings of the plane were kind of acting like a crow. And I was sitting there going, he's not given a spirit of fear. He's not given a spirit of fear. But there's so much more in this verse. I'll tell you, this passage really resonates when it comes to to being bold and speaking like we ought to. He says he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, right? Three things. And I'll tell you this. Whenever I am timid, whenever I fear, I can't be any of these three things. Sometimes, whenever we have an opportunity to teach the truth, our fear will not allow us to remember that we have the greatest power behind us. You don't have to have a sword in your hands. You don't need a gun in your hand. You don't need the most eloquent words. You don't need to be a powerful political figure. You don't need to be, uh, you don't need to be a Twitter king or an Instagram queen. You don't need to be a diplomat. You don't need to be a superstar or a Hollywood, you know, actress or actor. You need something more powerful. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds and the casting down of imaginations and bringing to submission every high thing, right? I mean, that's a, that's a bad paraphrasing, but you remember that passage where he says our weapons are, are not this, this, this wimpy little weapon that's physical. He said it's the most powerful weapon they have. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. It, it can destroy anything that's been imagined. It can demolish every prideful thing that man has come up with. It can take hard hearts and destroy the bricks and soften them. We forget whenever we fear and we're timid that we have the most powerful tools. Tools that change the life of the lives of people every day who will just receive them. You're powerful with God and His Word. Whenever you fear, you forget the spirit of love. A spirit of love does not say, I'll fight another day. I'll keep my words to fight another day. And continue to put off and put off and put off the years, the things that need to be said. Uh, they do not sit down and make excuses for where we attend church or who we are, the name that's on our sign, or the doctrines that we read in the Scriptures. Uh, we fear and we forget that we have the real message of love. The real message of love is the one that says, I know destruction is coming, and I will stop at nothing to save you. You know, whenever tornadoes are coming in Arkansas, because we live in the middle of Podunk Nowhere, uh, I don't know, a butterfly flies over my satellite dish which also controls my internet and also controls my phone. Uh, I don't know what's going on. You know, and I know what happens right before that all happens is the phone starts ringing and, you know, mama's calling, Ellen's mama's calling from Oklahoma and my mom's calling from over the hill and, and friends are texting me from way back in Lubbock, Texas. Hey, dude, you know y'all are in a tornado warning? Everybody is just stopping what they're doing from miles and miles away to warn us a tornado's coming. We'll do that. But do we warn people, Galatians 6-1 style, whenever we see someone overtaken in their faults and wandering down a path we know only leads to destruction, speak up. Speak with love, but speak up. It's loving to save lives. It's not loving to let somebody perish. The spirit of fear will lead us to, to not have a sound mind. You ever think something to death? Think yourself out of something. I'll tell you, there are times whenever you're facing tough situations with people where if I have too much time to prepare, I might really do myself some good damage. I run through scenarios in my mind. And I run through the problem and I think, well, here's what they need to hear, so I'll, I'll say this. great, It's a great argument I've come up with. Here's the path I'll take. But what if they say this? Well, then, then I'll say this, but what if they say this? Well, then I'll say this, but, but then what if they take it this way? Or what if they take it that way? Or, or what if they get mad? Or what if they do this? Or what if they do that? I'll tell you, you can what if yourself to death? And, and what if they. I mean, you can go into full blown panic mode. I've been there. I'm not exaggerating to where you talk yourself out of even going and talking to somebody. You see, He's not giving us that spirit. Love, power, sound mind. That's what a bold person has because that's the type of people he's made. That's the type of spirit that's in the righteous. I noticed the great invitation here. Best invitation you'll ever get. It's not a birthday party. It's not a graduation. It's not a wedding invite. He says, be thou therefore not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor me a prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. You ever got an invite like that before? Hey, come get wit with me. That's not a very fun invite. But that's what he's invited you to. That's what the bold are going to go through. They're going to go through hard times. They're going to go through trials. They're going to go through tough situations. They're going to go through times where, I mean, it's brutal to do the right thing, but he says, it's worth it. Join me in this fight. Join me in speaking the way that we ought to speak. Join me in being bold the way that we ought to be bold. Join Paul, the naturally bold, who was willing to say, pray for me, to be bold. The one who is willing to say, don't be worried, look what's happening. Even if things go horribly wrong, it's going to go all right if we're still bold. Join Paul. The one who said, listen, don't be afraid. Remember all the tools at your disposal. You don't have to be bold because of yourself. You can be bold because of God. Brothers and sisters, we can be bold because we can trust in the Lord. David said, even if he was completely surrounded by enemies and all these things, he said, in God I have put my trust. I'll not be afraid of what man can do to me. Thy vows are upon me, O Lord. I will render thy praises unto thee. He said, I don't care what man's going to do to me. I will stand up and I will say the right thing. And you know, because we can trust God that he will not forsake us. He will not leave us we can say what needs to be said and be as bold as we ought to. You know what? We can do what we need to and be bold because of what's coming in life. In Philippians 1, verse 19, he says, I know that this will turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed but that with all boldness as always. So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body whether it be by life or by death for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, I don't care what happens in this life. If I live, I'm going I'm to be bold as I ought to be, right? All the way to the end, always. And If I die, I'm going to gain. But what's the worst somebody can do to you? I'm not saying that things that humans can't concoct or aren't harsh or, or awful at times. Retribution, even for, for saying things, sometimes is fierce. Paul stood there, or Saul of Tarsus stood there, whenever a man taught about Jesus and other Jews hated it so much, they yelled and screamed at him. They gnashed at him with their teeth, yelling and calling him names, and they couldn't believe. They couldn't believe he had the audacity to talk about Jesus that way and salvation that way. And they threw rocks at him until he died. But you know what? I believe in death he gained, don't you? You think it got better? I guarantee it. Maybe your friends and your family will turn away from you when you try to give them the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You know what? It's only going to get better. Maybe your lifelong friends will turn and walk away, but you know what? It's going to get better. And the only way it can get better for them is if we say it's worth it now to live for Christ. It's worth it now to, to speak boldly Always speak boldly to magnify him and to glorify him with the way that I teach right now by being bold. Brothers and sisters, you might consider yourself not to be a naturally bold and confident person, but remember these words. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as lions. Are you the righteous this evening? As you look at your life and you look at the way that you've spoken Could you consider yourself righteous before God? If you haven't been as bold like you ought to be, it can change tonight. That's one of the great things about God. There are times whenever we might be afraid, times when we might be timid, times like Moses, whenever we know we're not enough on our own. But you know what God will do for you? He'll make you sufficient. He'll make you more than capable. He will strengthen you. And He'll give you every tool you need to get on the right track. Tonight, if there are loved ones in your life that need to talk to, commit. Commit to helping them with eternity. Commit to showing them real power, real love. This evening, if if maybe somebody has been bold with you and they've taught you truth and you haven't received it, do the humble thing and, and stand up and do the right thing and make changes in your life.